Welcome to the Yorkshire Grit Podcast. Tackling some of the biggest issues in men's mental health. Hello, welcome back. Thank you very much for joining us at the Yorkshire Grit Podcast during COVID, which is a really shit time. Um, I'm really lucky to be joined by Lisa Brambani uh, for uh, season two, episode five. Now we're flying through them. Um, Lisa, thank you very much for joining us today. You're welcome. Um, it's very kind of you because last time we, you got here, but I didn't. No, no, you know, <laughs> I don't know who's got the Yorkshire gritty of it. It certainly wasn't you, was it? I know. I uh, stuck. You were stuck. <laughs> had to leave the car, and uh, but we're here now. Yes, and that is the main thing. Um, so yeah, no, I do appreciate that. It's uh, I've been doing a little bit of research on you, and I'm really honoured to have the first woman in the studio. Well. It's a bit of an honour for me, really, isn't it? The Yorkshire Grit Podcast. You know, cycling's so kind of seen as this macho, you know, you've got to be really tough, you've got to be really, really hard. But in many ways, that was kind of, would you say you had that in abundance when you kind of started up? Um, I was thinking about this yesterday and I was thinking, well, I used to train with the lads, but I never felt as if I was one of the lads. You know, I was always myself, you know, I was true to who I was and um, I just used to go out and train hard, but I didn't go out drinking and boozing with them. You know, I kept that female side about me, you know, it wasn't me to be one of the boys. So, yeah, I, I think... It's always been a male-dominated sport, and it always will be a male-dominated sport. Um, but there's some girls, real kick-ass girls out there at the moment that can give the boys a bit of a run for the money, I think. Because you were um, you're born uh, and bred in Bradford, yeah. which you're very proud about. Yeah, Bradford lass, Bradford. Um, and uh, growing up, you know, back then, was it, you know, now you see people, you know, amazing bikes and, you know... Um, I wouldn't say it's a rich person's sport, but what was it like growing up? You know, how did you kind of, because back then, was it quite an unreal thing for a woman to be riding a bike at such a high level? Uh, well, I didn't grow up in a biking family. You know, I didn't, I wasn't brought up around bikes. Um, I got into cycling by pure default, really. Um, and yeah, I think Nowadays, it definitely is a, a middle-class sport. You know, you can't take up cycling unless you've got a bit of brass behind you. Yep. You know, you've got yep. to have money to travel, money to stay over places if you're racing. You've got to have money for a bike, kit. Yeah. I mean, the kit these days is just astronomical if you want yep. proper good kit. Um, so, like, when I started, it was just a bike that you, that you just somebody gave you or yep. you, you found you know somewhere hanging around in a garage um and and I, and I just got started um because I wanted something to do in Bradford no I I mean you say born and bred in Bradford I was born in Bradford but I was brought up in Hartshead so right. um but yeah near Brighouse but my dad's business was in Bradford so I spent a long time a lot of time in Bradford so how long how, how old were you would you say you were when you started Probably about 15, 16, and yeah. We just hooked straight away. Was it Was it something kind of, you know, why, you know, why cycling? What kind of, because you were a phenomenal talent and, you know, you were, I've heard that, you know, you trained really, really hard. You know, you weren't naturally gifted. Yeah. Even, even though you probably were. 
Um, uh, well, I was a swimmer okay. going through school, um, and I was a good swimmer. It got me, it got me sort of popular at school because I could win races at school level. You know, I wasn't a Yorkshire level or a British level swimmer, but I was good for school swimming, school swimming galas. And I got to about 16 and I just didn't like going anymore, you know. It, was it those early morning things you had to do? Yeah, you had to what do early morning. About? I don't know. I think it's pool time. You know, it's a bit like the track, isn't it? It's when you can get the swimming pool um, and and it's easily accessible early in the morning. So I used to go to go early before school, walk to school. One day my hair froze on my head. It was that oh. cold walking to school. And I just didn't enjoy it anymore. My mum and dad said, well, if you give that up, you know, you're going to have to do something else because I was a little bit overweight, you know, I mm -hmm. think, and I needed something to keep me fit. And I, I don't know why, I just decided to be a cyclist. I think my dad might have said, why don't you ride your bike? And the next door neighbour was, um, used to ride for Ravensorp and he put me in touch with Charlie Sobe. And um, it just went from there, really. I met them. I think my dad, might have bought me a drop handlebar bike and it was just a brook oh no i don't know what it was but it had uh mug guards and it was a big heavy thing i think it ended up being my winter bike probably heavier than you were probably no i was quite <laughs> big in those days and i went down and met them one sunday morning and oh my god they took me on this bike ride yeah and is this the lads this is the lads. The yeah. men. It wasn't really the lads. It was more like the men. The men. Because we went out to York to watch the Div Divisional Championships. And that was the club run, the Sunday club run out there. From? Uh, from oh, Ravensthorpe. Oh, that's fair. From Dewsbury. Oh, a fair do. It was about 100 mile round trip or more. And my mum and dad were really worried because remember it was before mobile phones. Yeah. And... Um, <laughs> This is, you know, they'd waved me off in the morning. In fact, I think my dad had taken me down to the meeting spot at Ravensthorpe. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And um, it got to be about five o'clock and I'd still not turned up home. You and know, how, and like, how old were you? 16. Um, and I sort of came and we have a drive up, it's a steep drive where I lived and with my mum and dad. And I sort of pushed the bike up the drive and said, oh... You won't be going again then, Lisa. I said, oh, no, no, I'm going again next week. No, so it was um, a baptism of fire, really. Um, 100 miles at 16 for yeah, a girl. A yeah, first ride out, yeah. And oh. it was all men, yeah. And what were they like with you? <sighs> oh, God, she's still here. Oh, yeah, I yeah. think that was it. Charlie was ace. It was Charlie Sober that sort of looked after me, you know, and came to the back and just kept maybe pushing me or keep encouraging me, you know. Um it it was good fun. It was, yeah, it was, I mean, I wouldn't say, I, I, I can't even really remember how I felt, but it was, uh, I wanted to do it again. I wanted to go back again the next week. And then I started going out a little bit during the week just to get myself a little bit fitter. Yeah. Um, so that I could keep up with them. Because I think that was, the first ride was, even though it was 100 mile, it was a flat ride. Then the second week we went up some hills and it was like, oh, it's a bit different, this, you know, Jeez. few hills. Um, how much did your dad impact you on your on your cycling? Was he a big, you know, did he was he a big motivator for you? Um, well, as I've said, my family weren't sporty. You know, I didn't I didn't come from a sporty background. So, my dad 
maybe not maybe not in terms of you know being a cyclist but there can be other ways in someone in which one supports one like um, yeah you know back then someone might have said but you, know, you, you you're not doing 100 miles lisa on a saturday on your own without a phone you know what i mean like how would you have got back but so he, he must have been quite yeah go on get i think that. they were a bit laid back really they didn't really think about it you know you just trusted people didn't you in those days and you just went out i w- I would say that my dad always supported me. Everything I did supported me and he supported me 100% because I was an only child. So my dad was a big supporter of me and somebody that I always looked up to. But regarding sport, he wasn't a sports person. My mum wasn't a sports person. So they didn't really have that much impact on my sporting career apart from supporting me, you know, and uh, financially supporting me. It was all driven by you and your mindset. Uh, yeah, I guess it was. And and the Ravensthorpe lads, you know, if it hadn't been for Charlie's son, Dave, Dave Sobey, who entered me for my first race. Yeah. And then, of course, I met my husband, Michael Parkinson, who was one of the Ravensthorpe lads. Yeah. Um, and they just encouraged me. And, and I mean, Mike really encouraged me to, to be a good cyclist. Um, he used to take me out training and punish me up all the hills and he was a good cyclist he was a yeah. really he could have been a very very good cyclist he used he was he used to ride with the likes of Dave and Bernie Burns Dave yeah. Rayner, Bernie Burns on the Yorkshire team when they were juniors yeah and he was a good sprinter but his dad told him he had to get a proper job mm. you know and he couldn't go into cycling so when did it um change from just going out on a Saturday a little bit during the week to know this is actually something I really want to do now. This is, this is me. This is Lisa. This is something I see myself um, representing at the Olympics at some, you know, aiming to, cause that's what you did eventually. Yeah. Um, well, I think when Dave entered me for this race and um, he got the race entries form through the post, like he did in those days. And Beryl Burton was on the start sheet. Wow. I know my mum and dad were like, Beryl Burton's on the start sheet because, I mean, no, Beryl legend, Burton yeah. was like household name, wasn't she? Yeah. Um, I think I was 11th. I think Beryl was 10th. This was in my first race. And I think that inspired me to go on. And um, the, the guys at Ravensop were my inspiration. You know, they were the guys that pushed me into doing it. And that's why I stayed with Ravensop Cycling Club my whole career, apart from when I went to America. Um you know, I always stayed with them and we're still friends with them, you know. Fantastic, yeah. We see them very regularly. Michael goes out riding with them. Yeah. The over fifties, they call themselves now. Yeah. So they were so they were a massive impact on your life. Uh and then it was from then you just kept training. And then what was your breakthrough? Because back then it's a bit different to bit different to now. You know, now you would maybe get on a uh, Olympic development program or you might um get picked up by a sponsored team if yeah. you if you were if you were a woman how was it how did you kind of um well the thing was i started racing in 19 i think 84 and that was the year of the first olympics that mm-hmm. women had been allowed into the was a women's cycling event it was the first time in 1984 in los angeles so the girls that had been picked to do that race were away when i'd started racing so you could say that maybe four or five of the top competition weren't on the scene. And I came along and 
just started getting good results, you know, and um, winning some races even. Yeah. And uh, what was that like? I just really took it in my stride, I think. It wasn't mm. something I... I never felt as if I fit in with the cycling fraternity, and that was... Um, I'm not talking about the Ravenstock lads. I'm talking about um, the racing scene. You know, my parents weren't cyclists. Mm -hmm. um, my brothers and sisters weren't cyclists. And most of people in those days that got into cycling had a cycling heritage. Yeah. And I wasn't built at that stage to be a cyclist. I was probably a bit overweight. I didn't have a bike that fit me properly. And then I go along and I start winning races, you know, and people think, oh, she, you know, and it's still the same these days. Yeah. You know, you you know yourself, you turn up to a race and some chopper turns up, not looking the part. Yeah, it's Probably a going on the front, hammering it for 60 mile. Mm. Don't know the race etiquette. Then they go sprint and win the race. And you think, what? Mm. How's that happened? You know, and, and that happened with me. And I never really felt as if people accepted me you know I was like a bit of an outsider and and that was the same with the British Cycling Federation you know it was definitely an old boys club and if your face didn't fit you, you didn't really have a chance you didn't really? stand a chance oh yeah and my coach at the time Val Rushworth well she wasn't my coach when I first started you know she was my coach as I developed she said look you go out and win the races. If you win the right races, they can't ignore you. Yeah, and that was absolutely right. And it's it's true to this day. You know, if if you're winning national championships, if you're getting top places in world tour races, whether British cycling like you or not, they can't ignore they you. They can't ignore you. So your face didn't fit and you felt like a bit of an outsider. What, why do why, why you think you felt like that? What, just because your family weren't? Yeah, yeah my family weren't historically cyclists but neither know. but neither were mine but i kind of felt yeah i suppose i do yeah, know, I, I, I do know what you mean though because when you go to races and you start racing if your mum and dad and all them your family are there and they know what's going on it does help yeah, yeah. if your mum turns up and goes oh guys seem to be going a bit quick yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, 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 put your helmet on it's yeah. a little bit embarrassing isn't it yeah, yeah. Uh, for example you know when we were riding you used to put Embrocation on your legs, muscular too, orange embrocation. God, I remember that smell. Oh, well, we were talking about it the other day. If you happen to just touch your eyes with your yeah, finger, oh, you were done for the old race, <laughs> weren't you? Yeah. But, you know, and you had this muscular too, and then you'd get into the showers in some village hall. And I remember thinking, I can't get this bloody shit off my legs. It won't yeah. come off my legs. And somebody said, oh, you need some eau de cologne, you know. And my mum got out a bottle of tweed. You know, she thought that was the eau de cologne. You know, it wasn't like the big bottles that you got from Boots. So yeah. I'm there spraying this bloody tweed on my legs, trying to get off muscular too. It was just, I didn't feel as if I fit in. You know, it was it was a long time before I felt as if I fit in. Even when I was national champion, I, I still didn't feel like I fit into the racing scene. But what about, so I suppose you've been on the front of magazines and, and winning, you know, the four national championships that he did and going to the 1988 Olympics in Korea. Did you feel that you fit in then? No, I had an awful time at the Olympics. I what? hated the Olympics. The Olympics, out of every single race I did, 
the Olympics was uh, not a good experience for me mm. and it reflected in the result in the race. You know, I'd been fourth or fifth in the World Championships road race the year before and I went into the Olympics one of the favourites. Um, but because I felt like uh, I was made to feel uncomfortable in the surroundings, I'm not going to go into that in too much detail, but I didn't feel like I fit in um, there. Um, from various members of the team and the organisation that took me. It was awful. I didn't have a good time. Jeez. I lost a lot of weight while I was there. Um, it was in Korea. Um, really we, sorry to hear that. We, yeah, yeah. We, you, you couldn't go out training in Korea. You know, you, you just couldn't in Seoul. You couldn't take your bike out onto the road and ride your bike because it was so busy. They even had to, during that the Olympics... They had to limit the amount of traffic on the road. So one day, odd number cars could out go on the road, registration numbers, and the next day, even number registration numbers could go on the road. And what they had to do to allow us to go training was we had to go in a bus every day and they had to take the bikes and all your kit over to this stretch of motorway that they'd closed off and you could just ride up and down. I didn't get to see the course until the day of the race. Um, and it turned out it wasn't the sort of course that suited me either um you know it wasn't it wasn't the era where you went out the year before to ride the olympic yeah i can imagine course you yeah, know yeah. had it been i would have totally changed the sort of training that i did but i was more of a climber or a sprinter from a small group mm -hmm. um and it, it just turned out to be a race for the dutch really because in those days the dutch girls couldn't climb you know there were just big units yeah big sprinting girls um and and they just dominated the race. In actual fact, if there'd have been a team prize, the British team would have won the team prize. We all finished like in the top 12. I think I was 11th and I was the poorest place British rider. Um, and that really, really, I mean, I would have, I, I could have said it affected me, but I think I just brushed it off and put it down as a bad experience. You know, yeah, it was great to go to the Olympics, but. It wasn't the best experience I've ever had. God, that's really, it's really honest of you that. Yeah. It's quite, you know, because most people would say that's the highlight. It wasn't it? for me, no. But turning it round, I went to the Commonwealth Games two years later and that was the best, best race, best experience. How come they're so polarised? What, what, what? I don't know. I think maybe it was two years on. I'd maybe grown up a little bit. Um Although when I went to the Olympics, I don't think any of any of the consequences were anything to do with me. Mm -hmm. um, and I just was more relaxed. It was a more relaxed setting. It was in New Zealand. It was beaches, sunny weather, you know, great people, yeah. great atmosphere. They call it the friendly games, don't they? The Commonwealth Games. And um, it, it really was. We had a, a fabulous time and I came back with a silver medal. That's the difference, you know, that I could actually ride and feel comfortable. Um, whereas the Olympics, it was just, my mum and dad went to the Olympics as well um, to watch me and and they didn't have a good experience either. And, and God, sounds like an absolute nightmare. Yeah, it was, it was. <laughs> you know, my dad's a real Yorkshireman, you know, he likes to go to his pubs and have a, yeah, yeah. and you know, he got to Seoul and like, What's where, this? Where's the pub? Yeah, you know, yeah. where's the pub? What? What? And they, I can just imagine it now. <laughs> oh yeah, it was, 
really like and and british cycling federation as it was then wouldn't let my mum and dad come and see me um it was no it wasn't a good experience just a shit show it was yeah, yeah. okay yeah i th didn't think it was helped by the location either i don't think seoul was at that time the ideal location for an olympics so the commonwealth games in in auckland was it yeah would you say that that was that and the national championships would you, would you say those are the highlights of your career yeah that and um standout moments for you where you go do you know what Pfft, yeah it was all uh, right then no i think the real standout moment was when i won the um all rider women's classic in america um i mean that was a real proper stage race um talk us through that yeah well i i what just, did you have for breakfast that day <laughs> well it was a stage race so i was skinny in those days but it was a real climbing, real tough stage race with all the top Americans and and some of the top Europeans were there. And it just suited me. You know, I was in a fantastic team. I was in a great place. Um, the the racing was great. The Americans were enthusiastic. I mean, you know, like our kids these days go to Europe, go to Belgium yeah. to race. In those days, going to America was it was the best place to be, you know. People were so enthusiastic about cycling. Um, they welcomed you. The Americans were fabulous. The teams were great. You know, we had a full setup there because I rode for the um, Weight Watchers team. And there were two standout teams in America, and that was Weight Watchers and Lowry's. And we had a great um, rivalry between the teams, but there were other teams as well, you know, yeah. chopping at your heels. It was just a fabulous experience. It was a fabulous race. The food was good. Um, and did you win solo? Did you? Oh, well, I won one race solo, yeah, that sort of got me the, um, I mean, I think I won the prologue time trial, which was a like a hill climb. It was an uphill hill climb. Um, that set me off. And then, one of the stages I think I took off with about 50, 60 kilometers to go and just soloed it in. And um, yeah, I won, won from that race really. And then the next year I did it again and I was second that time. My mum and dad came out to watch that event yeah. and they hired a Winnebago and followed the race oh, round. Lovely. Yeah, it was a bit, bit, bit better than the Olympics. We're going on holiday, love. <laughs> they did, yeah, they turned up. <laughs> In Idaho, and uh, my dad went to one. I can of... just see him with like a, a bucket cap on and a, and a deck chair type thing outside. No, he had like he got really into the American style with his baseball cap. Did my dad, and he went to the um, one of these supermarkets one day. He says, "I've got the beers in, Pat. I've got the beers in," <laughs> and he opened it. He says, "What the hell's this?" It was iced tea, bought cans of iced tea. What a lad. <laughs> What um so what was it you know I, I mentioned briefly before about being on the front of magazines was it surreal for you then or did you just you know you seem to me the type of person that probably wasn't that bothered no I hated the media I hated the well no I didn't hate them but it wasn't something that I courted the press you know and no I wasn't because this day and age it's very much to be a good cyclist almost does go hand in hand with your social media profile. Oh, yeah. You've got to like the media. Yeah. Um, I think it's, um, you've got to be able to be to be good at that sort of thing. Um, and yeah, I did what I needed to do with the media, but, but it wasn't my thing. I, nope. I didn't really like doing interviews. Used to, my mum used to get 
bit frustrated about it. No, I didn't. Because I wasn't from a cycling background, because I wasn't from a sporting background, I think it just went over my head. It's not until now that I look at press cuttings and magazines that I've got that you think, oh, yeah, you know, I was on the front cover of that magazine or this magazine. But at the time, I didn't really pay much attention because, you know, I was then going out training with, just the lads from Bradford, you know, Dave Rayner, Bernie yeah. Burns, we, Johnny Clay, and they were just grounded you, you know, you were straight back down to earth again. Were you, uh, were you always obsessed? Because you don't strike me as someone who, you know, you say that you you didn't come from a cycling background. Was it your world or could you put your bike away on a night, on a, you know, rest of the day and not be obsessed or were you, or were you completely just all in? No, I wasn't obsessed at all, no. Um, it's, it's, it's difficult, really. I guess I think I was more obsessed with my weight. You know, I was very. I got to be a stage where I was very, very obsessed with um, being the right weight, and mm. I lost too much weight, and that's one of the reasons why I, I eventually gave up cycling because I became too obsessed with being the athlete. You know, being the perfect size and the perfect weight, and I lost too much weight and I lost a lot of my power because I think um, part of my, um, the person that I was, was that I was a powerful rider, you mm -hmm. know, and um, I eventually lost too much weight, went to, I think it was World Championships one year, got stung by a bee the day before and I'm really allergic to bee stings and had such a poor performance. And I remember going to see Peter Keane and him saying, you're the physiology, whatever that yeah, word. Yeah, physiology. Is. Yeah, of a, a marathon runner, not not a cyclist. Marathon. You know, you need to sort yourself out. We but, he, we hear that so often. Honestly, yeah. we really do, Lisa. We hear that. You know, the cycling. Um, Tom Dumlands just quit recently um, about because the pressures of cycling and having to be the certain way, and we get a lot of messages about when we spoke to Charlie Tamfield and Gab's colleague and stuff about. Um, even this morning, speaking to a guy this morning about his son <laughs> getting weighed every morning. Yeah. It is it is part and parcel of being a cyclist though, isn't it? It is the contract you sign. To be yeah. a good cyclist, you do have to be you do have to be skinny. Nobody was putting pressure on me, um, apart from myself, really. I had this image, um, and I it's still with me now. Well, the first thing you said to me is I've done t I, I do twenty thousand steps a day. Yeah. Like, yeah, I don't I don't I don't do it consciously. It's just that I just keep moving, you know. I don't say, oh, I've got some days I don't do 20,000 steps. But generally, I do do that because I'm busy all the time, you know. I'm constantly busy. But if, but I, I, I do keep fit. I still keep fit. And, and I don't keep fit because I think, oh, it does my heart good. I keep fit because I want to be able to eat the food I want to be able to eat, you know. Mm -hmm. I, I exercise to eat and I make no bones about that, you know. I don't really enjoy going hammering myself on my spin classes. I do, Emma, if she's listening. Because, <laughs> uh, she's my um, spinning instructor. I absolutely love it. Whew, I do it so hard, though. <laughs> because you... Um... You retired it, was it 23? Yeah. So it's a young age. Yeah. Was it hard to, the transition? Did you feel like a big sense of a, your identity was lost? No, no, I just totally switched off. I think it's going back to that. Not being a big thing for your family. And, yeah. You know, yeah. Yeah. You know, I mean, you say I went to the Olympics. It wasn't something that my whole life growing up, 
I was thinking, oh, I want to go to the Olympics. I'm watching the Olympics. I want to be there. I want to be. It wasn't that story. It was, I just went to the Olympics. You know, it wasn't like, oh, I'm going to the Olympics. And I can't really explain that. People might think that's weird, but that's how it was. You know, it wasn't like, oh, God, I'm on the front cover of a magazine. I suppose it's only once you've done it, you can look back when you're in it. Yeah. Sometimes. I think it's different for like uh, my daughter, for Abby, because she's been brought up with us being quite sporty and yeah. she was doing sport as soon as she could walk. She was doing some sort of sport because we've always encouraged her to do sport. She's been brought up around sport. And I guess for Abby, she's always watched the Olympics, you know, and watched even if it's just football or something. There's always sport on our television, it seems to be, annoys me tremendously. But, you know, even if it's snooker or... Yeah, I'm like that. I'm obsessed with sport. On. Obsessed with it. Yeah. There's, and I was speaking to somebody yesterday, a friend of mine who was an old guy, and he was like, I can't even get into the sport. He was really upset because there's no crowds, you know, and he was like, it's shit. so boring watching the sport. It is. And that's why Liverpool are doing so bad. Yeah, even he said this, and this guy's 87. He was like, even the competitors can't get themselves motivated because there's no... Of course they can't. Now, you see, I don't know what that's like because... It's playing into the hands of the teams who struggle under pressure because now they're like, oh, we don't have the fans on our back. Yeah. But it doesn't help the teams that thrive off it. And then you look at a sport like cyclocross, which is 50% riders, 50%... The crowd, isn't it? Yeah. Never got my head around cyclocross. Not my bag. Yeah, I really enjoy watching cyclocross. I've never done it. I enjoy watching it. I just can't imagine warming up on rollers when it's when it's two degrees, three, zero. It's such a good sport to watch, though. Do you reckon? So good. Much better than watching paint dry Tour de France flat stages, you know. God almighty. Yeah, that is... Yeah, all right. Yeah, I'll give you that. Yorkshire Grit. Women's cycling now is a, is a big thing. I see a lot of and rightly so um women's cycling now how do you feel how do you feel about the state of women's cycling in 2021 uh, yeah it, there's some phenomenal female athletes mm-hmm. that are cycling at the moment um it's completely different to when i used to race and the races are totally different you know i mean a, a, a long race for me would have been 80 kilometers at the max, probably. And now, what, in the Jara Rossa this year, they had one stage that was including the something like 17-kilometre neutralised zone. I think it was 180 kilometres long. Jesus. Yeah. Um, Do you think that's right or wrong? Do you think that's... Because mm, women and... I'm going to get into really dangerous territory here, but we want the gap to close in terms of money and how much people get paid. The gender pay gap should be equal. We know that. Do you think the distances should be closer or do you think it should be, how do you, how do you see Personally, that? no. I, th- I think 180 kilometres is way too long. I mean, it's okay to have one race maybe yeah. in a stage race or a couple throughout the year, but you get into that, 180 kilometers and then you're going to you're getting into the you're taking away what women's cycling is and women's cycling is it's punchy you know it's aggressive it's fast it's exciting and you get it to be 180 kilometers and you become like 
I mentioned before those Tour de France stages, which that are, bar, yeah. are dull and boring. And this is the this is the unique thing about women's races that it's more like junior men's racing. You know, it's it's fast. It's there's always somebody attacking. You know, like Abby will say, there's no rest in a yeah, women's race. Very not much rest in a women's race. You know, not 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 like you see the men. Oh, a break goes up the road and then. The rest of the race, they're dawdling around. You know, I mean, I'm serious to do a lot of dawdling around in men's racing. There's, is, yeah. there's no dawdling in women's racing or very little dawdling in women's racing. It's it's full on. It's more attacking. sporadic and more. Uh, yeah, there's always somebody attacking or it's less controlled, you know what I mean? And that's what I think is great to have on the television, you know, because it's, it's not about, okay, you might have a boring women's race every now and again. But I'd say pound for pound, you have more boring men's races. Yeah. Um, it, it's exciting racing and um, it's tough. It's proper tough. You know, it's, there's no messing around in women's racing. And do you, think it's, do you think it's a really good quality? Do you think Britain are producing good cyclists? Do you think, do you think it's going in the right direction? Uh, the problem we have in Britain with developing women's racing is we have no team Ineos, we have no Team Sky. So you know how if, say, we have some good young cyclists, for example, I'm thinking, oh, I'm Dool, Teo, John Dibbon, got picked off the British Academy and got put straight into Team Sky where they got learned the, learned the ropes, shown what everything was about. You know, you're in a World Tour team. You're not in a World Tour team. You're in the best World Tour team, and yep. it's British. There's nothing like that for the women. So the women are, are fighting for places on UCI and World Tour teams that aren't British. So they're fighting for, say, maybe one or two spots on that team, but they've got possibly reserved for a British rider. So it's really difficult to develop a British woman cyclist um, to, a, to a good level because they're fighting to get on a team that has... Limited spaces. Uh, uh, limited spaces, but a team that has some cash that can develop the riders. You know, you're only looking at maybe five or six women's teams throughout the world that have got a good budget to be able to develop riders, you know. But it's growing, isn't it? Is it growing? Um, I'd say it's pretty stable. Um, I wouldn't say it was really growing, you know. It's really difficult to attract sponsors to women's cycling because what is a sponsor going to get back? The trouble is we don't get enough women's cycling on television and that's mm. where you need it. And if they put it on television, it's usually a highlights program yeah. and you're not seeing the what's gone on in the race. I mean, don't get me wrong, even if the televised every women's race that there was, I wouldn't watch it because... I can't watch my daughter racing. I find it excruciatingly stressful. But there is a need to have women's racing on television because if I had a boy, for example, I could watch just about every race that they rode. But because I've got a girl, I can't. And that's it's not fair and it's not allowing the sport to develop. There's some fantastic races, you know. We've got the classics. We've got women riding classic races, and that's oh, would have been my absolute dream because would there it? would have been the races that I would have liked to have done. Is that what you mean? Because that's my favourite. I just love Belgium. Yeah. Everything about it. Classic racing. 
Um, Think about going over at some point just with my bike. Not that I'm fit enough, but just to, you know, just to get that. I think it's just good for your head every now and then. Yeah, I don't think it was. When I was cycling, Belgium wasn't a big thing because they didn't have the races for the women. Now Belgium for women is is great. You know, they have... um, the, the women's classics on the same day as the men's classics. And this is the way forward. This is the way to get women's cycling seen, mm-hmm. to have it on the same day as as the men's races. Because they've got the crowds, crowds there for there. the men. They're, all, they're there all day. Yeah. And and, and oh, call it a warm-up race if you want. I don't care what you want to call it. But Do you find that a bit disrespectful? I don't care. As long as the women are there, I don't care what they call it, whether they call it a warm-up race or whatever. If the women are getting that exposure, it's fantastic, you know. Um, and the women's classics races are just fabulous to watch. They're just just a great opportunity. And they're giving equal prize money in, in a few of the races, you know, particularly cyclocross. You know, cyclocross is great for women's cycling. Fantastic. They give equal prize money. They give equal billing, mm-hmm. um, and that's the way that the road has got to go. But it's still got a long way to go. A lot of people pay lip service to women's cycling. You know, people keep saying, "Oh, yeah, we're trying, we're trying," but they're not really trying hard enough. What really gets my goat, and and people that know me know this really annoys me, is that there's an under twenty three men's world road race, yes, but there's no under twenty three women's world road race. Why? Or does it just go from junior to To the elite? The elite, yeah. There's no under-23 category for the road race. There is for cyclocross, there is for mountain bike, but there isn't for the road. I didn't know that. How can the UCI get get away with it? How can the UCI get away with it in this day and age saying, oh, we'll put an event on for the men, but we're not going to put one on for the women? I thought there was. That's shocking, that. Mm. Because Abby could win it, couldn't she? Well... (laughs) She couldn't which now would... because she's not an under-23 and I, I I don't know whether she would have been able to when she was, but, you know, you, you don't know because you're not given the opportunity, are you? Which brings us on to your, to your, to your daughter, Abby, who is, you know, I've never met her. I, 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 I don't know her, but she is um, riding for Lotto Sudal. Yes, she rides for Lotto, yeah. And she's um, and she has had some success so far. Um, how do you see her development and, you know, do you... Do you mentor her or do you just oh. let her be her own person? Yeah, Abby's, Abby's her own person. She wouldn't listen to me. And I, and I wouldn't even dream of, of trying to tell her what to do or how to do it. Because oh, you, you're not one of these mums who plasters all, are all over Facebook and Instagram. I remember I was having a chat about that before and that's one of our pet hates, isn't it? If, <laughs> if, if she does a good ride, you know, yeah, I'm going to mention it because I'm I'm super proud. Yep. I'm proud of what she does and how she handles herself um all the time because I think she's very professional in the way in which she goes about a cycling career. And I think these days it's a it's a long game. You know, you can't go in and expect there's a very few women going and, and start winning because you've got women out there that are in the forties that are are crushing the cycling scene because they're so strong. Mm. You can't expect a early 20s rider to go out there and beat these women. There are some that can do it. Um, you know, you have to look at Chloe, Chloe Digert from America, who's absolutely outstanding. She's the same age as Abby. Um, but it's not often that a, a youngish in the in their early twenties can go out there and beat a woman in the forties, you know, it's um 
it's a difficult spot. Uh, so we have to play the waiting game, you know, and you, it's frustrating sometimes, um, as it is with our sport. But I think you've just got to be patient and yep. hope that um, all the training and the hard work and the professionalism pays off. Well, I'm sure it will for Abby and stuff. And it's good that she's got this opportun- these opportunities that maybe you necessarily didn't have. Absolutely, yeah. You know, you've got to you've got to grab those up. There's people out there say, oh, you know, you should be doing a proper job. And there's plenty of time to do a proper job, isn't there? There is. You know, there is. There I is retired a- at 23 and, yeah, it's a regret. What did you do after that? What did you do after 23 until, you know, what did you I just closed my mind to cycling completely. I just didn't think about cycling, didn't Did you get on a follow bike? cycling. Yeah, I had a mountain bike. I used to enjoy riding the mountain bike. Yeah. Um, I went to work for a, a guy who was um, massively into sports, but he ran the Forte Hotel at Brighouse, and I went to work for him at the hotel, and we had a good laugh, and I just totally got away from cycling and that's what I needed to do because yeah. I'd found it even though I was only in the sport for maybe six seven years it was very pressurized six seven years you know you win the national road race championships once but the harder it it's harder to keep winning it yeah, you know it's I harder to retain a title yeah. the pressure that's on you although I didn't really feel it at the time but there is pressure on you to to, to win it again you know and win it again and then do it again, you know, and um, I used to win off the front and that's not possible these days because no. riders are just more, much more professional, much more um, aware of what's going on. Um, away from cycling, how are you dealing with COVID? Uh, because it's a really tough time. <clears throat> you know, I found this lockdown really hard compared to the last one. How are you, um, how are you finding COVID and being able to see people? Yeah, I miss seeing people, really miss just being able to go out and... Go on holiday. Yeah, Michael said to me yesterday, do you know, I really need a holiday. I said, yeah, along with 99% of the population. I know, I know, I know. Yeah, fortunately last year... It's just like Groundhog Day. I just feel like it's it's fucking Groundhog Day. Every day I wake up, you know, I try and get up early. I, I have a coffee put the coffee on then i'll sit down on the sofa watch sky sports news for a couple of hours right yeah right trying to you know motivate myself to go on the turbo that only happens at about 6 p.m at night <laughs> do you know what's kept me going go and on, i've already mentioned it it's my spinning class you know i have an absolutely amazing spinning class yeah. and we used to meet at, at the old flour mill in Brickhouse, um and it's called ride r1de ride in Brickhouse. uh and when it closed down, Emma, who runs it, set up this Zoom sessions. And, you know, we have such banter and crack and it's such a mixed group of people. We've got old, we've got young, we've got talented people and we've got just funny people. And and it keeps me going. And we have like, maybe we dial up uh, three or four sessions a week. We have gym sessions. Mm-hmm. She's got me into doing weights, which I love. Um, circuit, little circuit things, but the spinning is proper hard. I mean, I'm not talking proper hard. Proper hard. Uh, it's not. People say spin double hard. Yeah, people say spinning's hard, but our spinning when we were in the studio was competitive. Yeah. So at the end of it, you'd look upon the screen and you'd see yeah. 
where you were in relation to everybody else. Now, I've got to caveat this by saying you didn't put your weight into the bike. So I was up against, say, somebody the likes of you, yeah, yeah. which is probably Big. twice as heavy as me, maybe. Yeah. Um, so it was a bit unfair, but we still have that competitiveness. I don't know how we manage it, but we still have yeah. that competitiveness on Zoom. And that's kept me going, yeah. really has kept me going. But yeah, I've missed holidays. We we like our grand tours. Those who know me know we like our we we get off in the car and we go touring around Italy and France and stopping off at fabulous places. Um, we even went to watch the women's Jara Rossa a couple of years ago. Wow! Oh, that was incredible. <laughs> that was incredible. I cannot believe the courses that they sent the women up. Yeah. They went up the Zonkalon, and it was just phenomenal to watch it to to go yeah. and. Be on the roadside and watch yeah. the women super race. And then Abby did this time trial and it was an uphill time trial. And as I mean, she's small. She's she's my size. And they weighed a bike before the start and decided that it was too light. You know, she was on a Trekamonda, which are really light bikes. And they put a bag of rice underneath her saddle and she had to ride this flipping uphill time trial mm, with bang. a big big bag of rice God. <laughs> underneath the saddle you um you strike me as someone who's very um you know very positive very bubbly you um you know you uh I, you know i can't see you having like a down day like well too many down days you seem to always have like a get up and go about you which is really nice to see because um yeah because covid's not easy it's um it's, it's, it's not easy for a lot of people i mean my mum has found it hard. She's eight, coming up to 87 and she's found it hard because um, it's really affected her routine, you know, even oh, yeah. if it's just going on the bus down into Edmund Wright to Little, you know, um, for the first three or four months of the lockdown, she wasn't able to do that. And she absolutely hated the fact that I was shopping for her, you know. Yeah. It's just because I wasn't going to the right shop, you know, or I wasn't going to Fulton's to get what she wanted. I wasn't going to Little. I was going to Morrison's, and that really upset her. Um, and I feel sorry for the old people. You know, the old people haven't got much time left, probably, and the messing around, stuck in their houses. The young people haven't got the young days left. You know, these young people that aren't being able to go out and meet other people in pubs and yeah. bars. It's, it's, um, it's sad for everybody. It's not so sad for me because, you know, I'm sort of middle of the road. You know, I'm like, oh, it doesn't matter to me if I have a few nights in. In fact, I quite like it. But, well, it lends itself to thinking, um, should the people who are vulnerable just get the, uh, just isolate and let everyone crack on with their lives? It's, it's oh, I don't know, it, it's, it's tough. Do we just wait till we get herd immunity? Do we just all wait until we get a vaccine? I think the key to it is the vaccine, isn't it? We need to get that rolled out as soon as possible, and we're doing that. And the media gets so hung up on oh, all just, the I, shit I can't, stuff. I can't read the media no. anymore. I can't. I just can't do it. Hundred thousand deaths. Yeah, uh, the, but what the, the lead with the crap, crap, and then the slipping. Oh, but we've we're the best in the world at, at vaccine. You know, well, we are at who's the moment. leading the world in vaccine? We did something like six hundred thousand in a. Day so, or a week, I can't. And no, yeah, a day, something like four hundred thousand in a day. And Europe uh, have done uh, Germany or somewhere has only done like six hundred yeah. in a day. Or yeah. France. So and we are. The, other, the fact that. is, we may be overtaken by countries like India, etc. But they're not vaccining with the vaccines that we're using. They're not using the 
ones that have been tested and tried yep. and and where as a small nation you know we we are doing really well you can knock we, us but we'll since because we left back. brexit we are with the uh which was done in oxford university mm. uh, so we should be proud about that and we should kind of you know hopefully by mid-feb they reckon that you know, mid-Feb, end of Feb, we'll all be, we'll all be vaccinated. So um, people who are listening now, you, um, you've you got this. You know you've got this. Just there is light at the end of the tunnel. you just got to you just got to keep your chin up. And um, if I can do it, you know, uh, if I can get out of bed and keep going, everyone can do it. Yeah, get on your bikes. Get on your bikes. <laughs> just get on your bikes and don't give up. That's what I've got on my uh, wall. But look, Lisa, thank you ever so much for... Um, for coming in today um sorry about last time we tried it was a bit it was a bit of a nightmare wasn't it yeah uh, for you yeah it was for me <laughs> um i had to walk home uh it's been really interesting and it's been fascinating listening to the insight of a young girl from bradford who made her way in very much a man's world um i think it's i think it's inspiring to be honest um just listening to you talk about your training and stuff um, and the stuff you achieved and your honesty about the Olympics. I found that very surprising. So thank you very much. You're welcome. Um, and I'll have to come over to Hartshead at some point for some food. I, I, I want to see that big long table with all your decorations. Mid Dickensian <laughs> table. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> You've got to come at Christmas. I know. Yeah. I'll be there knocking on the door. Yeah. Ne the next year, <laughs> hopefully, we can have some this year. We can have some parties again because i have a house that lends itself to parties i have a field and we like to do parties round us you know yeah well that's good i, oh, I, you know, I just miss that I, I miss yeah having a party yeah when, that's it, when can it? we next have a party i know well we, we've already discussed this in my i'm gonna say it again spinning class we've got a round us party sorted we just need to get the go ahead so we can all get together yeah um, no, thank you ever so much. Um, today's episode was actually sponsored, uh, as always, by the Living Care Group. Uh, thank you ever so much for your ongoing support. But also Sports Trader. Uh, they are a charity that exists to give young people employment and sports participation opportunities. In doing so, they gain self-confidence, esteem, retail skills, and improve their physical and mental health. Um they, they do this by running a, um, by managing a professionally run charity shops. There's one just over up in Grimsby by Lance Haggif. Um, it uses funds to invest into sports participation projects. We're going to be doing more with Sports Trader. This is just a brief kind of intro into them, but please have a look at them. And if you ever go past a Sports Trader shop, um, drop in, buy something, because it really does help kids um getting into sport and stuff so thank you very much uh and lisa thank you uh i would like to borrow your porsche at some point yeah <laughs> uh in fact should we swap when we get in the car park yeah. i've always wanted a porsche <laughs> yeah it's uh i like cars and that's probably with both me and my husband and daughter like cars and it's um Waste of money, aren't they, really? I wouldn't know. I've got a Ford KA. But uh, <laughs> look, right, thank you ever so much. And yeah, I really hope you all enjoy this episode. It's been great to finally have a woman on the show. It's been well overdue. And everyone, just keep up. Keep your chin up. Keep going. If you're on the bike now, you can do it. Thank you very much. Thanks, Lisa. Thanks. Bye. Bye-bye-bye. Bye. Bye. The Yorkshire Grit Podcast. Subscribe now on iTunes and Spotify.